Hi, this is a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters for the week ending May 22nd. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on this podcast, you will hear our excellent interview with Julia Zamiro. She was on to talk about the latest season of Home Delivery. We also had a bit of a chat about the desperate lengths we have gone to for good takeaway in our lives. Uh, also, we chatted to Corinne Hall, the cricketer, uh, and also the co-author of book Victress, Women Who Paved the Way in Australian Sport, and chatted to Simone Boldy, who gave us a screen review of Better Things. Uh, regular marine biologist Ricky Lee Erickson swung by to talk nudibranchs, uh, delicious sea slugs well not delicious but delicious looking and texting oh god yeah sarah got in a bit of strife really with her phone anyway stay tuned and uh and we did a quiz wrapping up what was a stellar week melbourne's own triple r it's ironic that one of Australia's best improvisers should have a career you couldn't make up. Host of Rock Quiz, Eurovi- Eurovision coverage, New Year's Eve celebrations, stargazing live on the ABC, appearances on QI, thank God you're here, as well as touring with Belle Shakespeare, performing with STC and starring in Spontaneous Broadway. Now she's back with the eighth season of Julie Zamiro's Home Delivery and ahead of its premiere tomorrow night, the beloved actor, writer and presenter joins us on the line now. Julia, welcome back to Breakfasters. Lovely introduction, <laughs> writer. It was really lovely. Sharks. Well, it's uh, watch, watching the show. Uh, you know, crossing borders, air kissing, visiting other people's homes with a crew. Home deliveries never looked so rebellious. I know. I just saw a promo for it last night, and at one point, I'm literally just giving. Dr. Carl, the hugest bear hug. Um, we were filming that episode. We started back in September. It can take a while to film a series because it's about the availability of guests and then do they have a spare 24 hours to fly back to where they were born. But um, we actually cancelled our final two episodes. We were going to go to Tasmania and do a couple of fabulous episodes there, but lockdown got rid of that. But it means that we still had eight episodes, which, you know, technically constitute, you know, you can call that a series. Um, uh, But, yeah, I've been reflecting on if we could do it post-COVID. And you could do a version of the show, but part of what's lovely about it is to be able to get a bit up close and personal. And, yeah, it is strange to watch. Mm. Has there been a, a guest where you're, like, not jealous, but you think maybe they had an and a childhood that you could, you would have quite enjoyed yourself? Oh, all the time. And I'll tell you who they are. There's many of them. It's the ones where, oh, actually, not, actually not, not all the time. But, um, and this used to happen with one of my producers, Polly Connolly. We go to a house and when you'd hear a guest talk about how their whole family would sit around the table together and they'd all share the day's stories and they'd all eat together and share what they were thinking, you know, at the lunchtime, we'd meet up and just have a little tear and have a bit, a bit of a sook <laughs> because it's, and my parents are lovely, um, but my dad had a restaurant, was working at night. My mum was just to help him and was a teacher during the day. And I don't really have a memory of that kind of, you know, everyone happy, everyone always home. Um, you know, my parents separated when I was nine. And so sometimes I think, wow, yeah, there are really some parallel universes out there where people just seem to have these dream 
uh, home lives. Like Gillian Armstrong, who's in this series this year, who directed My Brilliant Career in a Bazillion Other Films, she had a bit of a, a home like that. And a dad and a mum who were very supportive of her artistic pursuits, particularly for a young woman um, back in the you know 60s. Mm. What do you think it is about going back into your childhood home that allows people to open up so much? So we watched the, the first episode with Dr. Carl uh, overnight uh, and I was just surprised by how forthcoming he was about his relationship with his mum. Do you think there's something about going back into your childhood space that allows people to open up more? And have you ever been surprised by that? Yeah, I am surprised by that. But you know what? A lot of people we ask to do the show say no. They say, I'm not prepared to go back there. The memories will be too much and I don't want to talk about my childhood. And we say thank you for that because we don't want people who don't want to talk. We want people who are open to it. And I often feel like they're, they're, they're ready. They've said, yes, I want to go. It's time. For example, we've been wanting Magda Zhabansky for a long time. She was in our last series and for quite a few years she kept saying no. And when we finally got her, she said, look, I just wasn't ready. You know, my mum was ill and I was in a funny place. And, and I, you know, people, so Dr. Carl, for instance, was so keen to see his house and it was exactly the same. Uh, we, we really lucked in this series, a couple of houses, three houses that really had not changed at all for our um, guests, Lillian Armstrong, Scott Farquhar from Atlassian and um, Carl, Dr. Carl. And I think it's that notion for an interviewer, it's a, it's a much nicer situation than having them trapped in a studio under lights, remembering their story rather than being uh, there in the actual house, feeling freer, sort of forgetting the cameras are there and then letting what they see take them back on a tangent to a story they might remember about their childhood. Is it very often that the people that are currently living in the houses know that there's been a celebrity that grew up there? <laughs> oh, my God, that's such a good question, Geraldine. First time it's ever been asked me is, thank you, Triple R, thank you, breakfast. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, it's funny. So sometimes uh, when our research team, our production team ring, they're like, yes, yes, we did know that Dr. Carl lived here. Yes, we were aware that, uh, you know, Louisa Rue used to live here. So when we went back to Louisa Rue's house, the woman there just wouldn't let us in and we couldn't shoot there. And then she changed it to, you can shoot in the front room. And then she changed it to, all right, you can shoot only downstairs but not in the backyard. And then she changed it to, all right, you can shoot downstairs in the backyard. I mean, she kept moving the the the, the goalposts. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, it is funny. Sometimes they know that that house was sold to them, and they're very excited. Now, with Dr. Carl, the people he sold it to are the same people there. So um, it was uh, really nice for them to catch up afterwards, which is great. But um, and sometimes uh, they don't. The nicest one we had was when we took Lee Sales back to her childhood home, and the people who lived there had made her a cake. With hello, oh. Lee. Welcome, Lee. Oh. Um, so we sort of left it in the kitchen. Yeah, I know, I know. Queensland, Brisbane, they're very lovely. <laughs> <laughs> um, you are a citizen of the world. What, what do you think is the value of telling these uh, these Australian stories in this show? Um, look, for me, it's always. You know, I do love to listen to, you know, when Gillian Armstrong, who grew up in Melbourne and now lives in Sydney, talks about going to uni, going to film school, trying to get in, filming what it was like to be in Melbourne at that time. They are little pockets of history of that time. Mm. Um, 
and hearing, you know, of another time on the campus, you know, where university was free, where you felt like um, anything was possible. I mean, frankly, right now with um, lockdown and COVID and everything that's happening, I think some people are going to be watching it feeling slightly uncomfortable of so many things that we can't do right now. Um, and just seeing, yeah, seeing someone like Gillian really go, wow, that, that was a, you lived in a, t- in a time and in a way that, that, was, that could really make you blossom mm-hmm. in a way. Um, I, think, I think too that, you know, we sometimes look upon childhood and growing up in a rather sentimental way. And also I hope sometimes that the, the show sort of says, no, sometimes life is hard at the beginning, but it doesn't mean it has to define you forever. Um, but in terms of Australian stories, you know, to take Barry Cassidy, which we did a few series ago back to Chilton uh, in Victoria, which is a little town that honestly you could just film a period piece there and not have to change a single thing. Mm. Um, I've discovered so many little towns that I've never been to before. And when you see them through someone's eyes, it just makes it so much more personal, so much more rewarding. Yeah, there's a fair bit of driving on the show. Has there been any hairy moments or anyone who was uh, p- particularly troublesome? Um, Julian Triggs liked to rev up the car. We had to drive a very old car. And um, she was so kind of proper and beautiful and amazing. And she was like revving that thing up. Celeste Barber in this but, movie. Julian Triggs, that's, that's, her, that's, her, that's her human right as well, we should add. <laughs> I know, it is a human right. She was just divine. But Celeste Barber, we drove uh, her dad's Mini, and that's because the Mini that her dad has now is the Mini that he and his wife sort of first dated in. And he loved that car so much, he kind of bought another version of it. And she was revving all around the Gold Coast in that in that car when we were doing that episode. Um, it is funny. Waleed Ali, when we took him back to his childhood home, you know, we started at Richmond Football Club, obviously, at the grounds there, and then we went back into time, and I said, do you know how to get back to your old house? He went, yeah, of course. Completely went the wrong way. We overshot <laughs> the highway. We almost ended up in Elsa. It was like, where are we going? So not so dangerous a drive, but really added some time to the shoot that day. Thank you, Waleed. <laughs> Hey, Julia, while we've got you, can you talk to us about um, the Victorian Actors Benevolent Trust and what your role as an ambassador is? I sure can, and thank you for asking. Um, it's incredible that 60 years ago some some actors in Victoria thought, you know what would be good if we set up a little, what if we just got some, raised some money and had this little pot of money here just in case, you know, one of us needs something and that's continued to this day and I know there's there are similar um trusts and funds in in all around Australia but Victoria particularly is is the one I'm ambassador for and for 60 years they've just found a way to raise money for there always to be some money there for out-of-work actors who might fall on hard hard times or out-of-work crew who might fall on hard times and that can be anything from getting a tooth done right to chemotherapy and if you just don't have the means, not because you're hopeless and not because you're unemployed, but because you can fall on hard times and anybody can fall on hard times, um, 
they've kept you know that going and of course now particularly during COVID um, they realised that they really needed to do a bit of a push so we recently did a fundraiser just over 24 hours just in that sort of concentrated space of time and they wanted to raise 50,000 and we raised 80,000 which was just so fantastic and for them that is just such an incredible amount of money and they're very responsible about responsible about it and how they use it um and I must say, you know, there's been quite a few um, charities and funds getting in touch going, all the things we would normally have to raise our money, uh, mm. a dinner, you know, with a thousand people or whatever, all that stuff's been cancelled. And so the sort of grassroots way to raise money for your for your trust or your fund or your charity have kind of disappeared. Um, so, yeah, it's been fantastic that we've been able to do that. And, you know, their motto is the curtain will rise again, and it will, but... I just think with live audiences, that's almost going to be the last cab off the rank, really. Yeah, totally agree. Well, the eight seasons. Like I just, I just, it makes me sad. Yeah. Sorry, it just makes me <laughs> sad. Yeah, that'll be the It last. is sad, but yeah, yeah, we've got to go. Uh, it is oh, the eight seasons. Come on, <laughs> Sorry, sorry, it's the news. <laughs> Nothing stops the news. Do it, uh, mate, the, do it, do it. Uh, it is the eighth season of Julia Zamiro's Home Delivery. It hits ABC TV and iView this Wednesday, featuring entrepreneurs, politicians, comedians, singer-songwriters, the full gamut of Australian cultural life, and we've been speaking to the deliverer herself, Julia Zamiro. Uh, always great to talk. <laughs> Love you, breakfasters. Thank you. Thank you. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. We all love a bit of takeaway. I don't think there's no denying that. And what what it is, we're in the times of takeaway, I reckon. (laughs) Um, uh, I'm interested to know, though, what, what are the lengths you've gone to to get takeaway maybe a specific takeaway, um, and was it worth it? Um, I'd, For example, I had friends uh, in their 20s who drove to Adelaide on a whim because someone said there was a good burger place there. So it was like a Friday night and they went, well, let's drive to Adelaide. Um, and from memory, I don't think it was worth it. <laughs> but... <laughs> It's like White Castle, they, the, the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they said it was a fun drive. So last night, um, obviously, because um, I'm um, in, in Venus Bay, the, the options of takeaway are limited and it's only um, like weekends. I think the fish and chip shop might be open on a Thursday, um, but there's pizza or fish and chips. And after... We've had a we've had it a couple of times on weekends. It's, the novelty's worn off. It used to be, ooh, ooh, what a treat! It's Friday, we can get pizza or fish and chips. Ooh, and now it's like, oh, we can have pizza or fish and chips. So, um, so last night uh, we got Indian. We got takeaway. Oh yeah, um, yeah, it was so good. Um, so. But we had to drive. We drove to Inverloch to get it, which is like a. It's like twenty half an hour drive, twenty minutes, half an hour, um, and obviously that's probably borderline too long to for the food to be hot when you get it home. Um, so how's this? We took an esky, and we put a hot water bottle in the esky. Oh, mate. 
and then we would we put our food in with a hot water bottle in the esky, <laughs> got it back home, num, 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 still warm enough to eat. <laughs> that Perfect. is genius. Bloody nailed it. Yeah. It was Kat's idea, obviously. Um, I wouldn't have thought of that. But, yeah, it was just like, oh, this was such a – such a treat, you know, um, and it was absolutely worth it, the effort we went to. I mean, it's not a lot of effort. I put the kettle on. Um, no, but even thinking of that, because I actually see you, when you said you said to me yesterday, I'm going to go and get Indian tonight, but I've got to drive half an hour to get it. And I said, mm. well, we're going to eat it cold. What are you going to do? Reheat it. You're going to eat it in the car. But that, yeah, because I'm, oh. I'm I didn't even know. Like, Kath had, you know, planted this seed of getting the Indian. And I was just like, oh, she must, there must be a place that does, like, you know, Indian where you can, you know, heat it up at home or something, you know, those takeaway meals. Maybe there's, she's found something like that. Because, like, we, how can we get it home? Like, we can't just get ordered takeaway and take it home. What are we, we what are we going to do? But she'd already, yeah, had it planned out. But it, it even got to, um, like in the morning, she said, "All right, what we'll do is we'll we'll go, we'll feed the horses, and then we can, and then it's like, and then we can order there, and then it's like a twenty minute drive out, and then we'll drive home." I'm like, "Oh, this is," and because it was the only thing that I had planned for the day, it was. Oh, I'm so excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so when I had my afternoon nap, and like Kath comes in. And she goes, all right, I'm going to go feed the horses now. And I'm like, what? what? But uh, aren't we? She goes, oh, no, I just thought it, like she almost canned the whole thing. And I'm oh. like, no, you don't, un- you don't understand. This is, this is all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> let me, let me come and feed the horses. Like I'll come and I'll feed the horses and let's go for that drive, please. And it was great. <laughs> Excuse me. Like we went. Um, went for the drive and we ordered when we got there um, and they said, you know, it will be 20, 25 minutes, whatever. I'm like, perfect. Then we get to we'll walk down to the beach and we walked down and we got to the beach and walked out and then walked through the clearing, uh, like the part of the beach water and there's a rainbow. And I'm like, oh, look at that. There's the beach, there's a rainbow. And then there was another older couple walking along the track and they, and they were like, and because I because I said it out loud, I, I went, "There's a rainbow," and told them. And they because they had their backs to the rainbow, and they were like, "Oh!" And they were like, "That rainbow wasn't there when we were walking past before. That's you know, that's only just come out." And I'm like, "Oh, look at that! Two lesbians rock up to the beach, and a rainbow pops out." <laughs> it's there's a I travelled so far yesterday for all these different sort of appointments, and uh, went from. Well, anyway, Keylor to Elstonwick to Richmond oh. down to Dramana. God. And uh, on one of those stops was for this jellyfish salad. Jessie's in love with this what? jellyfish salad. Oh, mate. She read a book on jellyfish and it's like I could not, I could not go a day without hearing a new jellyfish fact. And – what is the jellyfish salad? But she, she wants, well, it's but she was just saving the jellyfish the other day on the beach, and now she's eating them. Yeah, I, I suppose yin and yang or yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's crunchy and gelatinous, and it's oh. very good for you. What are they putting in? It's horrifying. <laughs> it, it's 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 very good. It, bizarrely, it's very good. Oh. What bit is crunchy? Uh, oh. Well, I, I, again, like I, I think 
I think to get together. I, I actually don't know because I think that parts of the shredded jellyfish are both crunchy and oh, gelatinous simultaneously. Yeah, oh. maybe, maybe exactly. And, and you it's can, all just jellyfish. You just eat. A, that's right. Just, yeah. And and you can you can also get duck in it. I got a bit of duck in it. Anyway, it's bloody brilliant. But it we went out of our way for miles to because it was just well out of my way. But <laughs> my, my my point is that in because you're right, food has become very important. And so in Keylor, it was like she's got this favorite Indian restaurant in West Footscray. And I was oh like, my god, Angan. Go? Yeah. Sorry, I meant to say that. But I actually have an, I actually have an Angan story to, yeah. to to describe exactly what you're talking about right now. But anyway, carry on. No, well, well, it's it was more like, are we gonna, well, are we gonna go? But it, we had to wait an hour and a half for them to open, and I was like, oh. no, I I actually planned Andrew's entire um birthday this year around a walk to Werribee Beach so that we could drive pack. Through and then I said, "Why don't when we drive back from Werribee, we uh we could pop through West Footscray and uh, pick up some Angan?" And so we did this birthday, this ISO drive to Werribee, got out, walked along the beach, and then as we were coming through Footscray, he goes, "Do you have planned my whole birthday around doing this?" And I was like, "Yes, I did." <laughs> was it worth it though? Oh my god, it was so worth it! And on the weekend, he goes, "On the weekend, we had this conversation. We we're going up to the Bellarine Peninsula to Ocean Grove." And I said to him, I wonder when gyms will open. And he goes, gyms? And I said, yeah, I really want to go to, go to the gym. And he goes, are you going to Ocean Grove because you want to go to the gym? And I said, are gyms open in Ocean Grove? And he goes, what? He goes, are we, just going, are we driving all the way to go to gyms? And I looked at him, I'm like, what, what do you think I'm saying? And he goes, gyms, gyms, chicken and chips. And I went, jums? Jums, chicken and chips in Ang- Anglesey. And he goes, oh, I thought you were saying jums, and I'm saying I'm saying gyms. I want to exercise at a gym, but he thought I'd planned the entire trip to Ocean Grove to drive to Anglesey to get my favourite chips and gravy from Jums. Like he was, <laughs> he's like you've gone too far this time. Anyway, <laughs> Triple R. Australian cricketer Corinne Hall is an all-rounder for Tasmanian Roar and Hobart Hurricanes. She has also played for English county sides, Berkshire and Devon, and the Canterbury Magicians in New Zealand. She's co-authored a new book, Victorious, Women Who Paved the Way in Australian Sport, with funds raised going to charity. And to tell us about it, the athlete joins us on the line now. Corinne, welcome to Breakfasters. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Now, firstly, I guess, where are you and how is lockdown going for an athlete? I'm actually based in Tasmania at the minute and coming into winter, it's uh, it's getting quite chilly down here. So you've got to pick that uh, one hour of exercise you get each day uh, nicely in the day to get the sunshine. Um, but yeah, it's it's a bit tricky now because we're used to being quite active and uh, we would just be getting back into training. So we've had to adapt a little bit, but uh, I've been lucky. I've got a gym downstairs in my garage that I've been able to access, which has been handy. You were Great. saying that you share house with a couple of other cricketers. How intense do those backyard cricket games get between you guys? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think uh, for us, once we get home, uh, we've normally sort of done cricket nine to five, so cricket's the last <laughs> thing on our <laughs> We actually have quite a decent hallway as well, and we've never played a game. So, um, oh. I mean, I might have to keep that up the sleeve next time we have people around. <laughs> Are you with no cricket being played? Do you rewatch matches? What? How do you keep the? How do you keep cricket in your life? 
Um, for me, I actually really need the break. Um, we, we train pretty much full time now. So, um, you, we get about two months off and for me, it's really important to mentally recover, especially, um, in a leadership role, you, especially throughout big batch, it's a really chaotic period. You're traveling and, um, there's a lot of pressure and media attention, all that sort of stuff. So for me, I like to tune out and not think about cricket, but, um, as I said, we're coming back into the preseason now, so it's time to sort of switch on and, um, I think it's, it's handy living with a couple other people in my team. Uh, when you're feeling a little bit of lack of motivation, they sort of, um, give you the inspiration you need, um, to carry on. So yeah, I'm, I'm in a fortunate position. Now, uh, along with Michael Randall, you've put together this ode to some of Australia's most cherished female athletes. Can you tell us about some of your cricketing inspirations and, and what makes an athlete worth emulating? Um, I think for me, um, like throughout the process of the book, I found there's a lot of different things I'm inspired by. Um, each of the 35 athletes that we celebrate in Victorious have a unique story to tell and um, they're such interesting people. But I think for me, one is resilience and um, mental toughness. And I think Anna Mears is um, one of the forefront names that spring to mind straight away. I think the things she's overcome in her career are outstanding. And um, well, growing up for me, there wasn't a lot of uh, female athletes um, that were exposed to sort of the media. So as a kid, I didn't, wasn't really aware of too many. Um, but I was a keen netballer and I actually really loved Sherelle McMahon. Um, and, uh, for me, I think for her, she was like not the tallest on the court, um, but she had this fierce determination and you could see it in her face. She would, she would rather, um, you know, collapse than, than let a game go. She just had this intense passion to win. And, um, I found that really inspiring, uh, growing up. And sorry, but just on a selfish level, um, you, you're a bit of a fan of Mark Waugh. Yes, I am actually. Didn't he make cricket look easy? <laughs> well, yeah. And did what? What? What about his? Do you think you co-opted some of that sort of elegance? <laughs> Definitely not. Um, <laughs> you've seen me, uh, me play cricket. I'm uh, very unorthodox. So I, I can't hit this classic cover drive like Elise Perry. I've tried to pick her brain over the years about what what she actually does, but I can't seem to to emulate that at all. Um, I play lots of different shots. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm not graceful at all. I, I, get, I try and get the job done. So, um, but I, for me, Mark Waugh, um, he just seemed like, and I think all great athletes have this, they have that time, that extra second that they seem like everything is always under control. And, um, yeah, I love that about him and I'm a keen fielder. I absolutely love fielding. It's my favorite part of cricket and, um, watching him in the slips, it's the same thing. Everything was, there was that elegance and, he just seemed to know where the ball was going before it happened. Mm. So how did you whittle down oh, the, the – sorry, sorry, Sarah. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say you're also an artist because you've um, drawn all the pictures to accompany this book of the women who you feature. Did you have – I mean, you don't think of sport and art going together always. Usually it's one skill set or the other. You had both. That's unfair. But uh, when did you discover that you were kind of good at art as well? And did you have any art heroes or were there – cartoons or something that you watched as a kid or anything that inspired you to draw? Um, for me, I, I sort of taught myself. Um, I was quite a shy kid in high school. I, I um, had trouble expressing myself if, if I wasn't on a cricket pitch or a sporting field. Um, so for me, uh, drawing was an outlet. Um, I originally started to do pictures to give as gifts to my friends. And um, for me, it just showed how much I cared about them when I couldn't really say it. Uh, so it sort of developed as, as something like that. And 
Um, the last couple of years, I've actually used it as a bit of an outlet. When I play cricket, I always have a sketchbook with me because it's the only time my mind completely switches off um, and I can sort of escape whatever's going on and almost recharge my own batteries. So um, for me, it's not just about the drawing stuff. It's more about what it does for me personally. Um, and I think Bo Brady actually inspired my, my love of drawing. Yeah. I had a crush on him growing up in the <laughs> I had a TV Hits magazine and there was a poster of him in it and I'm like, oh, God, I have a crush on him. So I thought I'd start, um, start drawing his picture to put on my wall. So um, that's how it started. How did, how did it go from, um, yeah, how did the book come about? Like, you you know, you were drawing pictures and then whose idea was it to turn it into a, a book? Yeah, I have a great um, team around me and it's, it's very much felt like a team project. Um, the actual idea started in December 2018 and we were three quarters of the way through our big bash season and we weren't playing well and um, I was in my hotel room and I was having a bit of a pity party for myself. I was a senior player and I should be playing better and sort of getting quite down and um, and then I had this moment where my thinking completely shifted and I felt really grateful for the position I was in. I got to wake up every day and play the game I love as my job and it got me thinking about all the women who had sort of paved the way before that to allow me to have those opportunities. And I picked up the pen and paper and I started drawing Dawn Fraser, um, whom I absolutely adore. I think she's obviously an amazing athlete but an incredible advocate for women. And um, from then on I sort of wrote a list of 100 female athletes I wanted to draw and I kept ticking them off. I shared um, what I was doing with my manager uh, and my best friend and we all came up with this sort of idea to – uh, potentially um, create this book and that was sort of the the blue sky thinking of my manager he he was brilliant with this he had a vision for it straight away and um, we went about sort of piecing the puzzle together and then got Michael Randall on board to to write the words and capture I think the heart of the book um, through his talent so it was very much a joint effort. Yeah. How much do you think uh equality in sport has um grown over the years like you just said that you could come up with a list of a hundred women in sport that um inspired you and I think maybe 10 years ago you might not have come up with that many people yeah absolutely I think the exposure of female sport especially in Australia over the last five to ten years is really enhanced but um, I think for me personally, just speaking to my experience in cricket, I think there's been a huge shift for the last two or three years down in Tasmania. Um, I think before that, we were sort of very much felt like a tokenistic team. You had to have a female team. And even when the Big Bash was was on, it, it felt like we, we sort of got the bare minimum standards. And then there was a, a, completely, um, a complete shift in the organisation from management up and attitudes changed and... Um, we got access to a lot more funding and facilities and we very much feel um, as much of a part of the organisation as the men's team and we have a really good relationship with the men down here as well. We're very supportive of each other. So I think in, from my experience it's grown a lot. Um, it's still got a long way to go, as we as we all know, uh, especially yeah, yeah. with sort of the payment issue, but um, that's, things, that's heading in the right direction. And I think we just saw the Matildas um, reach pay parity with the Socceroos and um, the Australian Cricket or Cricket Australia have actually sort of set the standard with how they're going to pay their female um, players full time, and I think other other sports have sort of seen that and, and and are responding. So it's heading in the right direction. Cool. cool. And can you tell us where the money's going that raised out of the book? 
I'm glad you asked this because um, I'm, I'm extremely passionate about an organisation called the Kindness Factory. Um, but it's actually founded by my best friend who um, had a three-year period where she broke her back twice, um, mm. taught herself to walk twice, and she lost her, her partner to suicide in that uh, period. So there was sort of an extreme, um, you know, string of events. And she uh, has this amazing attitude towards life and towards people, and she attributed um, kindness as saving her life throughout um, that phase of, of her life. And um, since then, this movement's evolved and they've just launched a kindness curriculum in schools. So they're, I guess, attempting to create a generational change where we're just a little bit nicer to each other. And, um, yeah, I'm extremely passionate about that. So well, funds will go to the Kindness Factory. And we actually got a quote from each of the athletes in the book on their thoughts on kindness, which was one of my favourite parts because there's some just brilliant, absolutely brilliant responses in that. Um, and also we'll get some money back into grassroots cricket. So, yeah, uh, I guess my way of saying thank you again, it's given me so much. Brilliant. Well, Victorious, Women Who Pave the Way in Women's Sport is out now via Wild Dingo Press. Uh, and as you say, Money Raise is going to grassroots women's cricket and the Kindness Factory uh, to spread its positive message. And we've been speaking with cricketer and co-author Corinne Hall. Thanks so much, Corinne. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Triple R. Simone Ubaldi is in the house, her house for this week's screen review. Hi, Simone. Good morning, ladies and gents. How are you? Yes, well. Thank you. Ladies How are you? I'm fine. Have you guys heard that this pandemic? I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Tensions have been high in my house over the last week. They're always pretty high. We went supernova. And uh, that has led me to the theme, the tangentially connected theme of this week's screen review, mm. which is men are bullshit and women have to do everything. But yeah. <laughs> I think the Grattan report might have phrased it a bit differently. With the division of domestic labour. But I found a very consoling television show over the last week and I have watched all four seasons and I'm here to strongly recommend it to your audience. It's called Better Things. Okay. Um, any bells? Anyone no. seen? No. No. Is it one of these comedies that I haven't got around to watching yet? <laughs> yeah. Mm. So to describe it as a comedy is reductive. But anyway, it's because like, it's, it's on Foxtel, and not that many people I know have Foxtel. Mm. Um, it is uh, created by also slightly problematic. Created by Pamela Adlin and Louis C.K. Uh, oh, yes. She plays his sassy, sometimes girlfriend on the show Louie, and uh, for the first two seasons of the show, he was writing and directing Better Things with Pamela Adlin, but but then she kind of continued the last two seasons by herself. And it's the story of her life. It's a kind of semi-autobiographical story of uh, an actor uh, in L.A. raising three daughters as a single mother while working. Um, and it is absolutely an astounding piece of television for which Pamela Adlin um, won a Peabody. Good. Mm. So she <laughs> Daniel, <laughs> good. <laughs> Great, yeah. Well deserved. 
Um, so, so she plays Sam Fox, who sort of started as a child actor, uh, and in the current moment is living with her two teenage daughters, one still child daughter, each of whom has a very distinct personality. Uh, Sam herself is this incredible woman. She's this kind of butch, funny, emotionally repressed unable to deal with all of her kind of rage at her useless uh, divorced husband, so just kind of buries it, but this deeply connected, nurturing, uh, compassionate, funny mother whose daughters um, intellectually always seem to be two steps ahead of her. Uh, But, yeah, this really, really complex kind of woman who has many failings but is also – on the verge of menopause and then in menopause as the series continues, uh, deeply sexual, childish, kind of emerging into this world of womanhood that is so very little talked about but so important to women's experience. And as the series progresses in ways that aren't exactly subtle but aren't exactly overtly feminist is all about a woman's journey through life, like really celebrating, tearing your hair out, honoring and just like in a very astounding way oh my god even as these words are coming out i'm like oh that's so boring (laughs) (laughs) no but this is exactly the problem is that we are kind of so conditioned to think about women's stories as being some kind of tedious worthy realm that we shouldn't talk about better things is a funny show and it's a super entertaining show and it's a show that breaks your heart over and over and over again um and I, you know, whether or not it's something that's of interest to men, I don't know and I don't care, but certainly should be required watching for all women because it's just going to tap into some deep, deep, deep stuff about being a woman while making you laugh and making you feel like life actually continues and gets richer and is dynamic through every single phase of womanhood. Oh, I think oh, sorry. because women have watched a lot of men go on a journey through film and TV and whatnot, I think it's fine for men to go on a journey with women. Sure, I, I agree with you, Geraldine. Well, that's, they just- that's why it's interesting that you said the Louis C.K. connection because I think of how when that came out, you know, it was seen as kind of so extraordinary to have this insight into this divorced man and his middle experience with middle age and his parenting. Uh, you know, that was so groundbreaking. And yet what you're discussing to me is actually kind of more groundbreaking because I can't think of a show in which I've seen the interior of a woman of that age going through that explored in the way you were describing it. Exactly. And I had the exact same reaction. I was like, oh, no, we don't we don't need to give the gold star to the dad who shows up and, and put him on the pedestal. I mean, don't get me wrong, I actually really think Louis is an amazing show um, and probably and Louis is kind of more consistently funny, whereas this show really tries to go into some bold emotional territory that balances out the comedy, although Pamela Adlin is incredibly funny and very dark. Um, but, yeah, just, just seeing women in this way, I was like, Oh, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, somehow we're always reduced. Somehow the narrative is always reduced. And it's when we're made to feel embarrassed and ugly about rolling around in all the kind of minutiae um, of what it is to be a woman. But this show just kind of raises it up and raises it up so beautifully. And like at every level, like the, you know, the bodies are a really big thing in the show. Like Pamela Adlin is a, is a menopausal or postmenopausal woman who, 
you know, like she has a lot of sex and she spends a lot of time in her underwear with a full and complete and normal menopausal body. But at the same time, you have her daughters who are kind of running around in their underwear. There's a lot of underwear in the show. It's LA. <laughs> <laughs> But also their kind of young bodies and the, and the flower. <laughs> but it's, you know, but like what is beautiful and powerful about young women is also celebrated at the same time. Um, but it's not just worthy. It's like they're, they're really funny, great characters. There's a lot of cooking in the show. This woman who's like sassy and hard and has to fight for everything that she's had in her career and in her life also spends so much of the show like preparing meals for her friends and family and daughters. And just that, I'm like, oh, that's so amazing that she's like, this stuff is great, man. I want you to spend like a good 30-second shot on me elaborately making pasta because how good is pasta? And I make a mean pasta and it's going to look fantastic on TV. And it really does. It's really, really good. I don't know how much more encouragement I possibly need. I've I've read I've never read so much about a show. Even the title passed me by when you said it. But my mum's obsessed with it. Uh, oh. Watching it, and my sisters love it. And Pamela Adlin is just so funny and biting in everything I've seen her in. Um, can the kids in this show act? The kids in this show are amazing. They're so good and they have such distinct personalities. There's a couple of themes that kind of work to comic effect where they're like almost absurd. Like the kids are just constantly staring at their mother going, mom, 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 mom. <laughs> it's like for seemingly no reason. And you just know that that is a refrain that's buried into uh, her head. There's one, yes, they're all very talented. The, the middle child in particular, who's a sort of gender fluid, maybe gender fluid, it's, um, you know, all the stuff is left quite open. Um, but she's kind of brilliant. She's advanced in school and she is ultimately Sam's angriest child. She's just such an amazing performer and there are lots of different things about her acting craft that are kind of drawn out as the show continues. But they're just magnetic. Like they're all really magnetic and there are these weird kind of subplots. The youngest kid can see spirits and it's not really discussed with any of the other characters in the show. <laughs> There's just one episode, there's a couple of episodes where she's like, you realise she's talking to dead people and then she's just kind of like, whoa, better keep that one under my hat. So <laughs> there's opportunity for them to really stretch and and um, and certainly to kind of bounce off each other, those kids. It does, there are moments in the show which the only thing I think as it continues people might struggle with, which is that a lot of it is like nostalgia lived in the moment, you know, that thing where people are kind of looking at something unfold and you can see that they're kind of feeling the grief of losing that thing as it's happening. You know, that like lived nostalgia. Mm. There's a lot of that going on in season three and four and what it's meant to capture I think is like a maternal connection and that sense of grief that mm. there's love but your kids have to grow up. Um, and unforgivably for me, the very, very, very last episode, the very, very last scene uses night swimming by R.E.M. in a scene where people are actually swimming at night time. No. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> but other than that, it's like a dead note. Glorious. <laughs> Is there any other way that people can watch it? Because, I mean, you've, I really want to watch this now. Can you pay, pay for it elsewhere or is it just via Foxtel? You can steal it from okay. the internet. All right. <laughs> Don't do that. That's illegal. You, what you can do is you can subscribe to Foxtel Go, which is the same as Stan or Netflix, in that you can okay. just pay a monthly subscription, mm. the same as a cinema ticket, 
for which if you're a binge watcher, you're going to get some 40 plus hours of TV. And there's a lot of great stuff, you know, there's a lot of great stuff on. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Well, all four seasons are up on uh, Foxtel Go. It's Better Things by Pamela Adlin. Thanks so much, Simone. Enjoy. Triple R. For feature creatures, we're joined on the line, like the fish she studies by marine biologist Ricky Lee Erickson. Hi, Ricky Lee. Hi, how's it going? Really good. Well, I am still in quarantine, like everyone, (laughs) and I'm going to talk to you about nudibranchs today, because why not? Um, A lot of people, I mean, I feel like a lot of people know about nudibranchs, but maybe they still fly under the radar. There are um, soft-bodied marine mollusks, so they related to snails and um, octopuses and that sort of thing. Um, But like the cephalopods, they don't have any shells. So they've evolved to have um, these amazing defensive mechanisms and these vibrant colours. So it makes them really popular amongst um, snorkelers and divers and that sort of thing. And what I'd recommend to everyone, if you're interested, is when you weren't safe to do so, have a Google because they are absolutely stunning animals. Um, When's it not safe to Google? Oh, you mean oh, driving. driving. <laughs> right. <God>, sorry. <laughs> like I thought it was like a, a COVID-related w- w- demographic. Sorry, everybody. So, yeah, so I said most gastropods have a shell. Nidibranchs have one in their larval stage but disappears as an adult, so that shell protects them when they're younger. Um, there are over 3,000 species of um nudibranchs around the world and about 400 that are from southeastern Australia and they vary in size from about four four millimetres to about 60 centimetres long but most of them are quite small Um, and they are generally more diverse in warm shallow reefs but you can find them from tropical seas all the way to Antarctica and like I said they've got virtually every colour and combination of colours and forms which is um, often used as a defence mechanism because they have lost their shells so they tend to mimic surrounding invertebrate animals like sponges and corals to avoid predation. Um, some of them are really bright and intensely contrasting to the surroundings, which um, actually signals to their predators that they are poisonous, which you'll see in other animals as well. Um, so there are mimics. So there are nudibranchs that pretend that they're poisonous. And they mimic other nudibranchs that are um, when they're actually not. And... Um, some of them are just brightly coloured for camouflage, but really all you have to do is just Google nudibranchs and you'll see an amazing variety of colours and patterns and, and body shapes as well. Can they change colour? No, they can't change colour, but they do ingest colour from their prey and they use those that colour for their camouflage. Sick. Yeah. So, and they also have, um, they also can feed on the stinging cells of hydrozoids. And they store them in their body for protection as well. So we don't really know how, but somehow they um, ingest these sort of stinging animals like um, jellies and they can somehow ingest them and they they pass them through their digestive tract and then they sort of um, suck them into their their bodies and into their their surface um, skin area at the, the back which is really really weird I don't really understand how they could do that wow. um, and they also yeah use the toxins not only the colors from 
uh, things that they eat like sponges and that sort of thing, but they also can use their chemicals as well as a defence. So it means that when they do get eaten um, that it's either lethal or distasteful to the predator. So that's another way that they can stop being eaten um, by other things. And certainly when I've seen, you know, when you see them around, they're, they're typically not predated on by many things just because they are, you know, it's a bit touch and go there. Um, so, yeah, and at least two species can make sounds that are audible to humans as well, which I thought was interesting. So a scientist in 1884 reported sounds from two species in an aquarium that sounded like wire tapping on a, um, the side of a jar and saw that the sound was emanating when the mouth was moving. I don't know whether that was because of a um, sort of a defence thing or it was a communication thing, but I found that quite interesting as well. Um, with their reproductive strategy, they're both, they're all hermaphrodites, so they possess both female and male reproductive organs, and that means that they can reproduce with any other nudibranch that they encounter. Um, so while they mate, while they mate, they fertilise each other. Um, a nudibranch cannot fertilise itself, um, and usually mating takes a few minutes and it does involve this dance like courtship, with, which is kind of cute. And the number of eggs they lay can be between one to two um, to 25 million. It just depends on the species. And they usually put those toxins in their eggs as well just to stop things from eating them. Huh. What are the limitations of a sea slug? Well, I guess they're pretty slow. They're a slug. <laughs> Most of them just fall on the ground, but some of them do swim in the water as well. Um, but most of them are just on the ground. They are very vulnerable um, to things because they are so small and they don't have a shell. Um, so I guess they rely on those colours and those toxins to stop things from eating them. Um, and they probably they can live anywhere between a few weeks to a year, so they're not very long-lived. But um, I would say that they're pretty integral to the ecosystem of marine life um yeah do eat a lot of things they they are involved in nutrient cycling and that sort of thing as well so they're super important and yeah so diverse and i'm sure there's so many species that have not been described yet as well there's one other example of one which technically isn't a nudibranch but it's uh in a different clade of sea slugs um and they are called solar powered or sacoglossans sucking sea slugs. Um, so they actually harvest algae from plants and coral and they house that algae inside their bodies. So basically just still, um, it's actually called kleptoplasty, which is um, for stolen plastids. Um, so they take those cells from the algae and um, use, and they basically make energy from the sun and they just use that energy. So they just steal that energy from them, which is pretty cool. And did you say you can find them um, in Victoria? Yeah. So um, actually there's um, a, a couple of really good, great places. I personally recommend going to any sort of pier or um, that sort of sort of artificial structure in the bay. So even like Blair Gary, there's amazing nudie. Like Blair is, Blair Gary is the spot to go for nudie ranks um, if you're interested. Um, but even Sandringham, like close to the city, I used to see um, nudibranchs there all the time. And they kind of hang around the what part? Like what yeah, part? like I'm up here in the pylons, that sort of thing. So ah. they, do, they do live in the water. So you need to get in the water and snorkel to see them. And you need to get really close because they they are, like I said, mostly quite small, probably mostly around about a centimetre long. 
Um, and they, a lot of them, like I said, do camouflage quite well. So you have to get your mask right up to the pylons and have a really good look, remembering not to touch anything because um, they do sting and other things sting that you, touch, that you touch. But, yeah, definitely recommend that. And actually um, Melbourne Museum has a nitty-brank field guide which was put together by Robert Byrne, um, who's an honorary associate at the museum, and he's spent a lifetime observing and collecting these these animals and he's described over 90 species so hmm. if you're interested you can borrow or, or purchase one of those books and they've got all of the nitty ranks that you'll find in southeastern australia which i said is about 400 and um they're so beautiful i used to see them quite a lot um out in the bay and yeah it's always made my day whenever i saw them <laughs> are you a strong Ooh. are you a strong snorkeler yeah i um, yeah, yeah, as strong as I guess you could, you can be in in a bay. It's it's pretty um it's pretty chill. Like I would recommend it for anyone really. It's um it's pretty safe, um, especially with your mask and everything on. I find it quite relaxing and um. But yeah, if you dive as well, that's even better because it allows you just to get that little bit closer. Um, but certainly with snorkeling, you can still see a whole bunch. Um, and yeah, the nitty ranks are. I mean, they're often like a beacon. They're so they're so bright and patterned and and. They've, they've got these feathery things on them, which are gills and other appendages. Um, so, yeah, they're really, really cool. And, I yeah, I do find it interesting, those animals that I, that tend to evolve um, with these interesting strategies to stop being predated on often are the most interesting to look at and the most unique. So, mm. yeah, in that aspect, I think they're really cool. And I suppose nudie comes from no shell. Yeah, so the, huh. the, the name nudibranch comes from the Latin word nudus. And the Greek word branchia, which and branchia means um, naked gills, naked and gills. Um, so yeah, the their gills are actually a little like sort of floral appendage that's not actually near the head. It's kind of halfway down the body, and it, it's yes, yeah, this kind of little flower type protrusion that comes out, and that's their gills. And I guess having external gills like that allows them to to breathe um, more efficiently, and they they tend to have. Um, these feathery appendages, which increases the surface area. So rather than I, a fish that swims, it's, yeah, it's better. I imagine a nudibranch, if it, t- a character of a nudibranch would be quite camp and it would just yeah. kind of slide along <laughs> going, if you got it, flaunt it, baby. <laughs> yeah. That is, you are what you eat. Yeah. <laughs> you are Literally, what you eat. You are what you eat in this case. Like, <laughs> you can be a jellyfish. You can be a sponge. You can be a plant if you eat it. <laughs> Brilliant. Nudie Branks, exotic sea slugs. Uh, Ricky Lee Erickson, thanks heaps. Thanks for having me. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. I don't know what's happening in oh. your world right now, All but right. Um, in the world of the breakfasters, <laughs> <laughs> things are we're having a we're having a great time at the moment because we're um, because we're all broadcasting from different places. Um, we're doing this through Skype, um, and for some reason, Daniel Daniel's camera's upside down. He's upside down. We can't work out why. Listening to you try to work it out for the last five minutes. I think people can hear some of the noises. Some of the noises now. Just muttering. Where's advanced? There is no advanced. (laughs) (laughs) Control A. I've got control A. Control C. Control A. Because it's. Yeah. And then to see. (laughs) 
It's just right. Then um, Jesse's dad just walked in to give you a coffee. And it is like watching someone walking on the ceiling. And then there was the added bonus of you didn't even know he was there. And then you get a fright. <laughs> and it's just what a great start to the day. Oh. So I'm going to be upside down all day. So I'm sorry about that. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's I feel like there's something in the air like weird. I got just weird stuff going on um with technology mm. and with us at the moment. Like what else? Well, well, I don't know. I'm trying to blame something I did last night on this. I feel like we've got some like someone needs to lift some weird eye off us. Um <laughs> Because this morning's just been a series of disasters from me getting stuck at the lights to coming in and the main computer not working in the studio that I need to be in and I then having to change studios. Daniel's upside down. <laughs> Last night I texted my childhood hero by accident an embarrassing text message. Well, let's unpack that. I don't even know if I should talk. I'm so embarrassed by it still. I don't even know if I should talk about it. Yeah, that's, I think that's the best thing to do. Is it? It's so fresh. Talk yeah, through the shame. Yeah. Um. Just own it. Just you own send a it. text message to who? So I accidentally, <laughs> I was very tired and I accidentally sent a text message to Richo, uh, oh, yeah. as in Richmond legend Matthew Richardson, whose number I didn't even realise I had in my phone. I think it's in my phone from we did the the, the cooking, the snag, the, the good grill for good snag cooking oh, in January yes, yes, yes. because we were both contacts. Anyway, he was a contact at that and I was emceeing. So I think that's the reason... It's in there. I think someone sent it to me and was like, if you need to contact them. Um, but here's the thing. It's kind of – in my phone, I have a friend, my friend Amy, who saved in my phone. Originally, when I first met her, we were drunk at a pub 10 years ago and she was wearing a Richmond beanie and she had the biography of Matthew Richardson tucked under her arm and I was automatically drawn to this person. We had some mutual friends and I was like, Amy, you know, Amy, I got introduced to her. I said, mate, like we are going to hit it off. And then we had this really drunken conversation about Richmond and the biography that was under her arm. And I'd saved her drunkenly in my phone as Richo Amy in my oh. phone. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Maybe it should have been Amy Richo in Maybe it should have been Amy Richo. Maybe <laughs> yeah. it should have been. I hadn't anticipated that I'd have any other Richo on my phone again. <laughs> and then I think it, it gradually became Richmond Amy, but uh, it's still in the phone as R-I-C-H as being the – First few words of her name. And I had to text her last night, oddly mm. enough, about a football thing specifically relating to the Richmond Tigers. So uh. well, obviously we talk a lot about footy. We do a footy podcast together. But it's very rare, given that we have not been to the football in about six months, if not longer, that I've texted her about football for any reason at all. Yeah. But I got a message from a friend last night asking for a football photo of me. Because they've been on this podcast with them. And I said, we need a fan footy photo of you. And so I know Amy has a really good one of me from the 2017 grand final. <laughs> so I text who I think is Amy. Hey, hun. That's a good start oh, right there. damn. Yeah, hey, hun. Do you still have that good pic of me at the G on grand final day you posted no. on Insta for my birthday last year? Oh. Kiss. Oh, shit. All right. Now put that in the context of sending it to Richo. Yeah, do you know what? There's lucky there's more information there rather than, hey, hun, can you send me that pic you yeah. took of me at the grand yeah. final in 2017? And get someone into trouble. <laughs> yeah. It's, like there's, 
But it's like, what are the chances of sending something that's related to Well, if you've got There's... something saved in your phone, someone saved in your phone is Richo, and then you have Richo's, oh, I'd say the chances are really high that you're going to send the wrong Richo a text. I just think it's the text, the text is, um, she's been changed to Richmond, Amy, to be fair. It's just that the text involves the G, the grand final, the 27 grand final, and the Richmond Tigers. I just think yeah. that it just is like, am I mental? Is that all I talk about and all I text about in my life? I and think that's maybe subconsciously why you sent it to to Maddie Richardson. No, I don't think it is. I think it's. it's I, think so. I, I was mortified. Yeah. I got back these. I got back not long afterwards. You're thinking footy. You're thinking footy. Oh, you I see. And my brain's just seen a name. Yeah. And, well, anyway, I got back question marks, and I thought, oh, she must not have it. And I was like, oh, I was, no. I was, oh, and I was like about to go into all this detail of the exact photo I was talking about and send a snapshot mm. of it. And then I looked down and I was like, oh, it's really weird we don't have a conversation history. And then I went, oh, shit. <laughs> and I just flipped out. I was going, I was with my partner. Yes, I was with my partner. And I was like, oh, he's like, I was like, oh. What have I done? This is so embarrassing. I don't know how to explain it that someone saved in my phone as Richmond Amy uh, yeah. and I've accidentally texted this, it, it, a number that I didn't even know I had in my in my, in my phone and then I replied uh, in rather panicked fashion, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I've texted the wrong number. This was for Amy who saved in my phone as Richmond Amy. No explanation. I'll just say that that's, that's the case uh, and I think I hit the wrong R. I'm assuming this is Richo. Oh. This is Sarah Smith from Triple R. So oh. sorry. Oh. And any response? And then nothing. No, I'm kidding. It was actually there was there was nothing for a moment. And I, you know what's even worse? I went to check the the uh, that I went to check how I'd saved names in my phone because I was so confused by how this had happened. And when mm-hmm. I hit information on the number, it hit the call button instead. So oh, for a yes. second, it rang. And then I hung up yeah. really quickly. And I, at that moment, I went. I nearly threw my phone. Out the window, like yeah, I was I nearly in tears. I was like, "Can I get in? This this can't get any more mortifying for me." Uh, and then after long enough for me to be going, this is the worst accidental text message I've sent in my life. I got so half a second. Yeah, about that. Maybe a couple of minutes. Long <laughs> enough to let me sweat. I yeah, got yeah, yeah. I got some crying faces and all good, Sarah. All good, Sarah. I hope you're good. Yeah, <laughs> which oh, is very see? kind and understanding. It is. It's also talking great. Matthew Richardson maybe was relaxing on a Thursday night, thinking, "Isn't it great to not have just to think about football?" Just for <laughs> <laughs> I can just catch up with my friends and you know, be with my a, family, be with my family, not uh, have talk someone. socially with people, and not have the spectre of Aussie rules over my ding ding. Who's this? <laughs> You know what? It's felt like one day where I haven't had to talk about the 2017 grand final. <laughs> I'd give you a standing ovation, Sarah, but I'm worried I'd fall off the ceiling. <laughs> Triple. Ah. Well, we're at the end of the week. It's Friday. Um, and I thought it might be fun to do a quiz who doesn't love a quiz? Love a quiz. Get out if you if you don't love quizzes. Um, and so this is a quiz that I've written, um, and it's all the questions are, are based on um, things we've learnt and said during the show this week. So if you've been listening uh, throughout the week, uh, feel free to play at home. Um, 
Uh, you can play along, but you two, um, obviously, you're the contestants. Um, you'll need to come up with a buzzer sound for yourself. Daniel, you go first. Uh, okay. Okay. Yep. It's what you sound like What's when yours? you're stressed. <laughs> oh. uh, mine is going to be Go Tigers. Okay. So, and Go Tigers are your buzzers? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to have, you know, uh, but <laughs> felt like it was too close to, oh. Uh, so uh, do it again, Daniel. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's a bit more from the back of the throat, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, 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 like a go- like a goose. Okay. So, um, uh, yeah, and obviously, once again, feel free to play at home. So this is the uh, Triple R um, Breakfasters quiz. Wait, hang on, <laughs> hang on. Good <laughs> name. Okay, question number one. Uh, what was the name of the show Simone reviewed yesterday? Oh, oh Daniel. God. Uh, better Things, which I remember because it's so hard to remember because there's Stranger Things, there's Better Call Saul. You know, yes. it's a great show, but I feel like Better Things, it kind of can get a bit lost. So I committed it to memory and Better Things. Yes, congratulations. That is why I put it as the number one question because it was a difficult um show to remember the title of, and I thought that would help our listeners. Okay, uh, so it's Daniel 1, Sarah 0. Uh, if you're playing along at home, keep your score to yourself. Uh, question number two. Uh, what is the theme of the PBS radio festival? Go Tigers. Oh, Sarah. It is You Can't Stop the Music. Nobody can stop the music. You are correct. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the PBS Radio Festival, which is happening right now. Uh, Corinne, I've put down the wrong last name, Corinne Hall uh, plays cricket for what team? Go Tigers. Oh, and you got in there first. Oh, well, uh, Hobart? Mm, Hobart what? There's, oh. oh, there's two. She plays for two Hobart teams. What? The, mm, okay. Ho- the Hobart, there is, there's a Big Bash team and there's another team she plays for. And the Big Bash team, I want to say, are the Hobart Hornets. That's not right, is it? Can, can I have a, a, I think one of her teams is the Magicians or Magic. Okay. Sure, but that's not what I've got. I want the, big, the name of the Big Bash team. Okay, oh. yeah. Can't Google Hornets. it, Daniel, if that's what you're doing. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Looks like that's what you were doing. I can't remember. Well, I'm just saying what? Chicago Bulls, Orlando Magic. I've just it's escaped me. It's the Hobart Hurricanes. Oh, so right. close to Hornets. Yeah. It's not. It is. Uh, they both fly. Sure. And destroy things. All right. So it's uh, one each at the moment and probably someone at home might have three yeah. for this. Okay. So question number four. Uh, if Sarah's family was at a display at the museum <laughs> that said, do not touch, what would Sarah's dad say when nobody was looking? <laughs> Go dogs. Sarah? Have a quick touch, kids. Yes, correct. Well, the correct wording was that you said was have a quick touch now, kids. Uh, all right. Uh, I've, Sarah's on two. Daniel's on one. Uh, here we go. <clears throat> Question number four. What Australian comedian that I used to live with has built a comedy room on their island, uh, Animal Crossing? 
Daniel. Celia has. Yes, Celia Bacola. And uh, for a bonus point, who performed in that comedy room? Go Tigers. Oh. Um, you were in the audience. Luke McGregor. Correct. Yeah, we all had a go. Yeah. But Luke McGregor was the other person in there. Uh, okay, question next one. I can't remember what number we're up to. Uh, oh, what's the score, by the way? I think um, Sarah's still in front by by one. Daniel's got two. Sarah's got three. Let's say that. I don't know if that's true, but that's what we're going with. Okay, in the K-League soccer, the mannequins in the crowd looked what? Oh. <laughs> Daniel. Uh, surprised. Yes. <laughs> Why was that? Because they're sex dolls. Yes. Well, they thought that they were... Um, just adult dolls. Yeah. They were, Sorry. They were, yeah, it was a mistake. Anyway, yeah. they got fined, the whole team. <clears throat> Next question. Oh, another point to Daniel. That's evened it up. I think I'm on four, but anyway, I don't, I don't okay, want to be that per- I don't want to be that person, but I'm very competitive. Yeah, no, you're on four. I think, that, I think you're Well, four. I mean, you took my bonus point. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, was the bonus point just open to me or can someone swoop in and steal a bonus point? No, you know? I don't. Yeah, she yeah. swooped in and told, yeah. stole it. That's fine, though. <laughs> um, Emerald Cow, uh, our uh, volunteers representative, hosted trivia for the Triple R uh, volunteers and included an obscure question about which band. Go Tigers. Craft Sarah. work. And it was too well difficult done. for anyone to answer. Yeah. I was... I was um, Wondering if that question was going to be too obscure. <laughs> uh, okay, next question. Uh, when you pick your own mushrooms and you're not entirely sure what you're doing, the rule when cooking is to leave half a mushroom to the side for who? Oh. Huh? <laughs> That's the most unsure honk I've ever heard. I don't know, the dog? No. No, there was a far out. Oh, Someone that you want to kill. I can't remember. No, well, close. You'd leave uh, half a mushroom to the side for the coroner. The coroner. That's right. That's right. Not someone That's you want right. to kill. That's right. Yeah, in case you die. <sighs> yeah. So the coroner knows. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, next question. Where is Sarah going this weekend? <laughs> Daniel. J- Jumps. Correct. <laughs> for a bonus point, what's your ordering when you get there? Fish Chips. Chips. <laughs> Gravy. Uh, okay, um, maybe one. Yeah, here's another question. Uh, why would it not be safe to Google nudie branks? Nudie branks. How do I say? Is that, is that how you nudie say? branks? Nudie branks. Yeah. Why would it not be safe to Google them? Go tigers. Yes. Because like nude, nude people might nudie beaches might come up. Mm, no. Okay. Nudie. Any, any other guesses? Okay, it's because you might be driving. Yeah? Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Oh, See? trick question. Now you understand where I was coming from. Yes. Yeah, that was getting a bit meta almost. Yes. Okay, uh, maybe, uh, well, last question. Oh. Spell funky. Oh. <laughs> Daniel. F-O-N-K-Y. Funky. <laughs> Funky from Triple R's album of the week. There, what's it called? Uh, Summer late, Drive. Late. Funky Drive. Yeah, that's it. That's the one. I'll let Summer you Summer Drive. Funky, funky ride. Uh, congratulations um, 
I forgot to keep track of the score. You're both winners. Congratulations. Oh, thanks, Jeff. Triple R. You've been listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with Breakfasters via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or via the Triple R website.